Uh, my name is Jack. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, I'd like to pray for us before we jump in. So would you join me in prayer? Father, long ago you spoke by your prophets to our fathers, but in these last days you have spoken to us by your Son. He's the radiance of your glory. He is the heir of all things. By him all was created. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, Father, we, we come to you now knowing that we are yours and you have spoken to us. And Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your power to open our eyes to see the truth of the gospel and the truth of the path of obedience you've laid before us. We need you to open our hearts to receive the word that, as the book of James says, we would not merely be hearers but doers of the word. And Father, we, we long to be a people uh, categorized by a hunger for Jesus and a love for Jesus and a recognition that Jesus loves us. So Father, would you be with us this morning? Would you, would you move in our midst? Holy Spirit, would you change us for having been here? Uh, and would you give us grace? We're in desperate need of it. We love you and ask in Christ's name, amen. We're uh, in a series right now on spiritual disciplines. If this is your first time with us, uh, I encourage you to grab the uh, first two on, um, on podcasts. They are available. They were the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and of serving. And this week, I have been given the opportunity to speak to us on the spiritual discipline of stewardship. Uh, let's just, uh, let me go ahead and just clear the air on some things. This is talking about money, so I'm as uncomfortable as you are, okay? Um, if this is your first time at Riveny, or maybe even it's the first time at a church, um, sometimes there's a stereotype that, that churches just want your money. Uh, I want to go ahead and just, just throw that to the ground. Uh, if it's your first time here, uh, we haven't talked about money in a really long time, and it'll probably be a long time after this that we'll talk about money. Um, but that being said, the Bible speaks about money and how we as followers of Christ view money and use money um, and relate to money numerous times. It is not as though it is a uh, one-time brief mention and then pastors used to take that and have to use it to make it work and make it huge. The Bible talks about money a lot. Um, and... As I hope you'll see today, our view and understanding of money is tied directly to our relationship with Jesus. We are called to be a very Christ-centered people. We are called to have our, our entire lives immersed in Jesus, focused on Jesus, wanting to know Jesus, wanting to follow Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us. Because he stepped out of heaven and took on flesh and lived the life that we could not live. Because he was obedient where we were disobedient. Because he came and gave his life for us. We are now a people who strive to follow after him. He has earned what we could not earn. He has paid what we could not pay. He has given what we could never purchase. We have him, we have the eternal God, the one who created all things, is our God, is our Savior, is our King, is our friend. And so because of that, we are a people who are completely focused on Jesus. 
And the very essence of sin is not Christ-focus, but self-focus. The very time that sin came into the world, Adam and Eve, the very first people, when Satan came and tempted them, the temptation was, did God really say, he's holding out on you? If you take this, then you will be the one determining right and wrong. You will be the center of all things. You will be like God. And what he did was he, he tempted them to take their eyes off of God as their complete fulfillment, their complete joy, their complete satisfaction, their everything, and say, he's not enough. I need something else. And so instead of saying, you are everything, I'm going to say, I am everything, and I'm going to make me the center of it all, which is the very essence of, of what sinfulness is. Now, as people who are Christ-centered, we then say, what does our life look like? If we're focused on Christ, how is that different for somebody who's not focused on Christ? Because we still go to work, we, we still have families, we still own cars, we still buy houses, we still do all kinds of things. We go to college, we have friends, we go out to dinner, we do all of these things. So what is it are those things that make us different? And it's ultimately that Christ is our ultimate priority. He is our everything. And it's through Him we see and do everything else. That's why these disciplines are important. Because if I want to follow Jesus, I need to know Him. And how do I know Him? I know Him through His Word. He speaks to me through His Word, so I know of Him and I learn of Him. And I learn of what He desires and what is best for my soul through the Word. And the outpouring of that is through serving others. And now this morning, we're going to talk about what is it that makes us different as believers, as followers of Christ, as it relates to our money, as it relates to those things that we have, what is it that sets us apart? What is it that makes us different? How do we view it and how do we live it? Um, So we're going to dive in this morning and seek to answer that question. Uh, We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't own a Bible or just don't have one, there should be one uh, under the chair in front of you. If you don't own one, keep that. That's our gift to you. Um, We would love for you to have that. Um, If you do own one, just forgot it, please leave it for someone to come in behind you and uh, use as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament, that's in the right end. There's no shame in using the table of contents, nobody's going to look at you funny, okay? Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, here's what's going on with 2 Corinthians. You see it's 2 Corinthians, this is a letter that Paul, the apostle, has written to a church in a place called Corinth. 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with a bunch of problems that are going on in the church. I mean, they're just, it would seem like this is not really even a church, But it is, and there's lots of things going on, and Paul addresses those. And then in 2 Corinthians, it's really Paul just kind of coming alongside them and just just kind of opening his heart to them. A a professor in seminary said that 2 Corinthians was kind of like Paul just kind of rolling up his sleeves and showing them the scars of what it was like to follow Jesus and wrapping his arms around them and said, "You, you received my first letter, it was tough, it was hard, but you know, let's just walk this together. Let's just walk through this together. And that's what 2 Corinthians is like. So 2 Corinthians, Paul's really addressing just, we're just living like Jesus. This is what it looks like in When we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul focuses in on their giving. Now, they had, uh, there was a need in Jerusalem. The Christians there at that time had, uh, were under a famine. They were under persecution. And so all the churches outside of Jerusalem heard about this. And what they said is, we want to give to these fellow believers who are in Jerusalem so that they might be comforted, they might be sustained. 
And so they set up this, this giving. And so Paul comes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He reminds them about this. And he says, hey, in a little while, we're, those people who are collecting the offering, they're going to be coming through. So I want you to know about that and get ready. So that's where we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This morning, I'm really going to focus on verse 10. I'm really going to hone in. We're going to pull lots of things out of verse 10. We could spend a long time in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but I don't think anybody wants me to preach on money for two or three weeks. So we're going to stay here. We're going to be here today. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 is going to be our focus. But to make sure that we're understanding correctly in its context, we're going to start 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Um, As we work through, I'll make a few comments. Verse 10 is where we're really going to land and um, spend most of our time. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 1. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So Paul writes, Paul's there, Paul's writing, he says, look, it's superfluous. I don't have to write to you about giving. I'm not writing this. I don't have to say, now look, here's 12 points on why you should be ready to give to this offering. What he's saying here is, I don't have to write that for you. You are already of the mindset that you are ready to give. We see that a year in advance, they had already said, we're in. We want to be a part of this. We want to help. God has moved in our hearts. We want to do this. And so Paul recognizes they have a spirit of generosity, a spirit of wanting to give. And one of the reasons why I like this text for use today here at Remedy is because I can recognize and FUD can recognize and we see a spirit of generosity amongst our church. We see a willingness to give. We see people who will say, yes, I see that. I'm going to be obedient and so I want to give. So the spirit is there. So the question is then, why would Paul write to them about it? If they've already said they're going to do it, the spirit is already there. They, they, they have this longing. They have this desire. They, they want to give. Why does he even need to bring it up? Well, let's, let's continue on. Verse 3. But I'm sending the brothers. Okay, so he's sending people there. They're, he's sending people to, to collect this offering. I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter. So that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So what he's happening here is, is Paul recognizes that the Spirit is there. Paul recognizes that the desire is there, the commitment is there, it's there. But he also knows that we as sinful people can have the best intentions and get distracted. We can have the best intentions and have the worst follow through. And so what he says is, I know that it's there. So here's what I'm doing. I'm going ahead and writing you because I want you to make sure that you're doing what it is you've committed to do. I want to make sure that all of this is right there. I want to make sure that it's ready because we've been boasting and our boasting in you has encouraged others to be faithful. And I want when we come to gather all of this, there to be nothing but a praise service for Jesus. We don't want it to be awkward. We don't want it to look as though we've lied. And we don't want it to look as though the things we said about you is really not true. So he pulls it there and he pulls it together. And so we say, okay, so Paul just doesn't want to be embarrassed. No, let's keep going. Because there's there's, there's something deeper that's going on here. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. So that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction. Okay, he's like, look. 
you've already said you're going to give, so I'm expecting it to be there. So one way or another, y'all going to give, okay? But this is what he says. Look at verse 6. This is where it starts just getting really, really good. The point is this. I mean, here's what Paul says. Okay, here's, here's what this is really all about. This isn't just about, okay, you made a promise. I'll make you keep your promise. That's not really the point. I mean, yes, you're going to, but here's the point. Here's what it's all about. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul's now, Paul's now giving off, off the surface and starting to drill down deeper. And he uses this analogy that we, we need to get because we're going to come back to this. This analogy carries through this entire passage. He says, he who sows bountifully or who, who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The, the picture there is of a farmer. And so the farmer would have a bag full of seed and he's walking down the road and he would just take and take seed and grab a handful of it and just scatter it all around. And so in agricultural society, they get this, they understand this. And what he's saying is, you know what? If you just kind of take one seed here and drop it a little bit, you're not going to have a huge harvest. But what if you take massive handfuls of seed and you throw it out? My, my yard, when we first moved into our house, had no grass. It was dirt. I mean, it was just red clay dirt craziness. And, it was just, and we tried to get a tiller to till it up to, to put, put sod down, and we could get about a quarter of an inch down was how hard packed it was. And so we finally got a little bit of sod down, but there was this one patch, one corner that we didn't have enough sod to do. And I worked hard and, and got it and tilled down and everything, and I, I bought a bag of grass seed. And they're like, you're supposed to use X amount of grass seed for every square foot. And I was like, yeah, forget that business. And I reached down, and I just grabbed handfuls of that stuff. And I just, and I just threw tons of it out. Why? I wanted a lot of grass there. So if I want a lot of grass there, I don't put two seeds down. I get handfuls of that stuff. And I'm hoping that some of it's going to catch and some of it's going to come on. That's kind of the analogy that Paul's using here. He's saying, look, there, there's something that's going to happen when you give. Now, here is a, here's a verse Here's a verse that some people take and use, I believe, very wrongly. There are some people, especially in America, whose gospel is not that Jesus came to save you from your sins and bring you back to himself and give you the treasure of himself. Some people say, Jesus came to save you from misery and from poverty and from sickness. So what you need to do is you need to give. And as you give, Jesus is going to give back more money to you. He's like a really good investment. It's like a fail-safe. If you put $100 in, you're going to get $1,000 back. And they use verses like this. It says, see... If you don't give lots of money, you're not going to give lots of mo- get lots of money back. But if you start giving away a lot, you know what? God's man, God's just going to make pennies from heaven or hundreds from heaven. It's just going to come pouring down. So give, 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 because that's why Jesus came, so that he could open the doors of blessing for you. And my question is, is that what Paul's really talking about here? I mean, he says, if you sow, you're going to reap. So what's going on? Well, we're going to answer that question a little more. I want to leave that hanging. We're going to come back to that because I think Paul's got something even more profound and much less worldly in mind there. Look at what he says in verse 8. And God's able to make all the grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He's distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. 
You see in verse 9, he, he points us, he's, he's talking about this giving. God can make grace abound to you. And then in verse 9, he, he lifts up Jesus. And this is it. This is the Christ focus. This is who we as Christians are. This is where we're going. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. Those of us who had nothing, those of us had nothing to bring to the table, nothing to offer, nothing to give. Christ has lavished on us the riches of his grace. And according to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, for all of eternity, he is going to lavish on us the riches of his grace. And so Paul is lifting up Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that about him. You've experienced that about him. And he's saying, look, it's not about the money. It's about Jesus. Look to him. And as you look to him, you see what he has done for us. And some, some of you in this room may have never experienced that. And so we start talking about giving as Christ has given to us. You don't know what that means. You don't know what that looks like. And what I want to do in the middle of a sermon about money is ask you this morning, are you trusting in riches? Are you trusting in fame? Are you trusting in worldly relationships? Are you trusting in being a good enough person? And what we know from this right here is that we are poor, broken, and blind. Your money will do nothing for Jesus, but Christ came for you. The greatest treasure treasure this world has ever known, and he gives himself freely to you. Would you this morning trust him? Not in money, not in relationships, not in fame, not in anything else, not in your good works, but in Christ. Because he is the center of it all. You see, Paul's talking about money, and what does he do? And he can't help it. He's got to go to Jesus because Jesus is what it's all about. So let's look in verse 10. Three things about giving. Man, I got to do a lot of notes already. That's good. It's good for y'all. I'm getting that clear. All right. So three foundations, three foundations this verse that a Christ-centered, Christ-centered giver clings through, okay? Three foundations right here in verse 10. I want to read it, give you the three, and then we'll break them down. Here's verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Read it again. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So here we are, Paul's broken those down. This the analogy of the seed and the sowing and the harvest is all still right in there together. This is what he says. There's three things. All of our money and belongings come from God. The ability and desire to give comes from God. And the result of our giving comes from God. Now let's go back in. Let's look at all those things individually and kind of break them down a little bit. First one is this. All of our money and possession, all of our money and belongings come from God. The first part of the verse there, it, notice what it says. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Now, there's two things. God is the one who gives seed to the sower and bread for food. The first thing I want to look at is that idea of seed for the sower. Now, we've already, because we've been in context, because we see how Paul has already used that analogy, we understand that this seed for sowing, he's already explained that to us. The seed for sowing is the money that we as believers have to give away. The reason that's significant is because now as we start talking about money to give away and we as Christians being able to give, we understand the money that we have to give has been provided by God for that purpose. It is seed for sowing. Money to be given away. 
If that is the case, if that is the case, why are we mishandling it if we're not doing what God intended for it to do? You see, if God has given us money and He has provided for us, then He will provide for us money to give away. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? God wants us to give, and then He provides the money for us to be able to do that. But notice also what it says. It says not just the seed for sowing, but also the bread for food. It's kind of interesting because if you kind of take this analogy and you look at it all the way together, what is it? you got seed for sowing, but then the, the wheat grows and you harvest it and you grind it and you make food out of it. You have the bread to eat. So there's just this culmination, this completeness. And Paul says, hey, remember, every bit of it's from God. The stuff you have to give away and the stuff you have to pay your house payment and the stuff that you have to buy food and the stuff that you have to buy clothes for your kids and all of that stuff, every single bit of that, don't forget every dime came from God. He's the one who provided it all. And so when we understand that, we stop thinking wrongly about money. We start thinking, okay, God has given me resources. And especially as we start looking at the financial resources, God has given me money to live on and God has given me money to give away. And that's where it kind of hits home if we're not being faithful in our giving. Because now we're mismanaging that which God has given to us for a very specific purpose. And our desire, as we're following Jesus, we want to be obedient, we want to be righteous, we want to live the way that honors God. And so if God has given us this for a purpose, we want to be faithful in that. Next foundation is this. Our ability and desire to give come from God. Notice what Paul says later in the verse. He supplies seed for the sower, bread for food. And then look at the the phrase that's right after that. And will multiply your seed for sowing. And will multiply your seed for sowing. And we have to keep this analogy in here together. So if if God's going to multiply our seed for sowing, just understanding it, keeping the analogy together, that means God's going to increase our ability to give. It seems as though that could mean one of two things. Maybe there's more, but I'm pretty simple, so it seems like there's there's only really two ways that I'm going to give more. Either, one, God's going to give me a raise at work, so then I have more income so that I can give more, or God is going to do something within me that I can live on less and have more to give away. God's going to take care of something so that I have the ability to give away more. And I don't know what that's going to be in our life. But isn't that what the Word says? That as we give, He is the one who will multiply our seed for sowing. So there's an idea here. There's a, there's a, there's a, a word here that tells us that as we are faithful in our giving, are faithful in our sowing, God works things so that we as obedient followers of Christ are able to give more. Now, I don't know how that's going to look in everybody's life. I genuinely think for some people, he's going to bring you into a windfall of something, and he's not going to do it so that you can buy a second house or so that you can buy a third jet ski. But could it be that God's going to open a door and then now you say, you know what? Man, 
I just got this almost more money. Now you know what I can do? Man, I can, I can be faithful in my giving. I wasn't able to do it before. I tried. I tried. It was just a small amount. But now I can really make an impact. Or man, there's somebody I know who's going overseas and I wasn't able to do it. But now I've got money and I can actually support them monthly. Or I can give to this. Or I can, and what God has done is he's created within us this understanding that we are conduits of his grace in this manner. We are the ones through whom he chooses to use to bless people, to further his kingdom. And as he does that, we multiply our desire and our ability to give. Third foundation is this. The result of our giving comes from God. Right here it says, supply seed for the sower, bread for food, multiply your seed for sowing. And then the last little phrase, he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, this is where I want to go back to what we had talked about earlier. Notice here what Paul does not say. He will increase your harvest of wheat or of seed or of whatever. He, he kind of breaks with the analogy of this, this plant and he, and he gets away. But what he does is he says, your harvest of righteousness. He really gets right to the point What is it that being faithful with the money that God's given us, with being obedient to the way, using it the way that God wants us to use it, what is it that we harvest ultimately? It's righteousness. Look at verse 8. And God's able to make all grace abound to you. He doesn't say God's able to make all riches abound to you, though God is able to do that. But Paul points to what is ultimate. God's able to make grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all times, you may abound in every good work. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You look at these, they're bookending this. Paul is tying our giving and our faithfulness with being stewards with our sanctification. It's a fancy $5 word for means being made more like Jesus. When we're saved, we're brought into the family of God, we're declared righteous because of what Christ has done and not of our own, but we look at ourselves and we know that we are not what God has made us to be. We are not who God has made us to be. We know that there are still lots of work for us to be made like Christ. And what Paul is doing here is showing that our sanctification in some way is also tied to the way that we handle our finances, especially in the area of giving and being stewards and providing for the needs of others. That, that really kind of puts a different bent on things. But look at it this way. Some people want to give. Well, if I give, I get more money back. I can say, oh, look how good God is. Now I got a new Hummer. I, I, I remember one time I lived in not this city. It was far away. And uh, I was getting my hair cut. Yeah, it, I'm not even going to say where it was. I was, I was getting my hair cut. And this lady came in. And she was like, I just wanted to come show y'all my blessings. God has blessed me. I gave. I gave. I was faithful. And God's blessed me. Look at it. And it's right, it, was a, it was a brand new Hummer that was parked right outside. And so what she was saying was that, look, I gave and God gave me a Hummer. What if we were able to say, I was faithful for what God has given me. I was faithful. And you know what? Man, I've become more like Jesus. 
I've seen within me a desire to be patient, to be kind. I've been able to exhibit mercy. I've been able to stand against sin. When temptation has come, I've been able to set my eyes on Jesus all the more. Which is more glorious? I'll take the ladder over a Hummer every day. You see, giving is not the only conduit of our sanctification. Don't hear me saying that, that if you start giving, then you'll be more like Jesus. But what I am saying, is it is part of our sanctification. And for some of us, it's an easier part than others. So really what I want to do is, for, for just a couple seconds here, ask the question, why is it that we wouldn't live this way? Or what keeps us uh, from living this way? And I want to go through these, um, and these are not... Uh, aimed at anybody in particular, I just kind of ask myself the question, what is it that would stop us from doing this? If this is the truth, if this is really what this is, why, why wouldn't we be there? And it's only as you have, uh, evaluate these things, and there, there could be more. I'm not saying these are the only ones. There, there are five things, but as you evaluate these, it could be that God points one of these and says, hey, this is the reason why you're struggling to be faithful in your giving. This is why you haven't been able to do it the way that you should have. And God, by his mercy, would show you this, that you might be able to turn from it and be faithful so that you would have that sanctification part in your life. So a couple of things, five things I want to bring out. Um, first off, one of the reasons why is we may find our security in money. Uh, a lot of this is uh, kind of what I've started calling the, uh, the when-then syndrome. When I get six-month salary in the bank, then I'll start giving. When I get a raise, I'll start tithing. When I get a full-time job, then I'll... The problem with the when-then syndrome is it never comes to fruition. Very rarely does it come to fruition. But what we find is what we're saying is, whoa, I can't give to God. I can't give to God because I just don't know how I'm going to take care of things. And you understand, if, if I've got that money in the bank, then I'm good. Then, you know, then I can give because if something happens, well, I've got this to fall back on. And what it, what it ultimately demonstrates is a lack of faith in God. What it ultimately demonstrates is I, I can't trust God to take care of me. I can't trust God that if I'm faithful to do what he's called me to do, that he's going to take care of me. So sometimes we don't give because we find security in money. Another reason is we feel we've earned our money. It, I mean, it's the American way, right? The American dream. People from all over the world want to come to America. Why? If you apply yourself, you work hard, you can make it. You can achieve it. You can get a job. You can earn money. You can get a retirement. And if some of us, that has become so ingrained in us that then when it comes time to start talking about giving money, we kind of put the brakes on because we're like, whoa, 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 I worked hard for that. Do you know the number of 80-hour weeks I had to put in? Do you know the sacrifices I made to be away from my family so we could have this? This is mine. Who are you to tell me that I need to start giving it away? Hold on, this, this, is, this is mine. And we understand and we go back and we realize that which we received, every bit of it, is from God. Let me ask you a quick question, and then we'll move on. Who puts breath in your lungs so that you can work 80-hour weeks? Who's the reason that you've got the creative mind that you have to do what you do? Who's the reason that you have a job in the first place? Who could take you out of that job like that if he really wanted to? You see, sometimes we think, I did this, and we've we got to step back. And it's not just that God put the paycheck. It's not like God's like, all right, let's watch and see. Go work hard. You go work hard. Hey, you're good. I'll give you a paycheck. 
No, God said, I created you. I made you. I put that mind in you. I put that breath in your lungs. I put the strength in your muscles. I made everything work together. The only reason you can do any of that is because I even did that for you. And that's not the, a shaming, oh, I'm horrible. No, that's enough for us to, to react and worship. I, I was able to do this because God made even that happen in my life. And so when you see it this way, yeah, yeah, you worked, but you worked with the strength which God gave you. So don't let that be an excuse. Third, and this one's hard, um, and working with college students, I see it more and more as people start talking about student loans. But one of the reasons we're not faithful is because we're in debt over our heads. Now, I understand that there's some debt that just, you know, it's hard to buy a house in America without going into some type of debt. But sometimes we are, we're so eager to have stuff, which we'll talk about in a minute, that we don't have a problem throwing down some plastic and building up such a debt so that then when we want to give, you, kinda, you, you, you hear something you're like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, I want to do, and you look and there's this monster that is looming over you. You're like, I can't do it. I can't do it because, you know what? Romans 13 says that we're not to owe any debt to anyone. So yes, you need to be paying your debts. But it's never an excuse then to say, well, I just got to pay my debts. And so jump back into the win-then syndrome. So whenever I get everything paid off, then I'll, start, then I'll start giving. Maybe you're at a point where you have massive debt. And that's the reason why you're not giving. My, my goal right now is not to, not to shame you, not to make you feel guilty. My goal is to encourage you right now. I understand. I understand what you're going through, and I know that that's difficult. I don't want to make light of that. I don't want to put it out as though it's, it's no big deal or make you feel bad for being in that situation. But here's what I do want to say. As a, as a pastor who loves you and wants you to experience Jesus deeply, the longer you are unfaithful, there's going to be a block. Maybe you're not able to be as generous as you would like to be. But even today, say, Lord, you have laid it out there before me. Maybe some of why I'm in debt was a mistake. Maybe some of it wasn't a mistake. It's just the nature of where I am. God, even where I am now, would you start me somewhere and show me where to begin to be faithful in giving? Fourth one is this. We find our self-worth in money and things. I don't have to explain this one a whole lot. We get it. We all know people who have to have the stuff. It's when the newest thing comes out. They, they're the, they're the, the clothes person or the gadget person or the car person or the hobby person or the vacation person. And that's kind of what defines them. So they're kind of working for those things um, because they, that gives them worth or value. And ultimately, our worth and value must be found in Jesus Last one uh, is this, and just quite simply, sometimes the reason people don't give is we just love money. Just love money. We love, it's kind of like all the rest of them kind of put together. We love what it can do for us. We love what it can provide for us. We love the way it makes us feel. We love the security of it. We just love it. And so then you start talking about giving it away. You know, it's like giving away one of your kids. Wait a minute, I love this. Do you understand? It's my baby. Can't give it away. And so there's, there's a difficulty that comes right there. So what do we do? How, how do we then approach these things? So if, if we've seen this picture of people who are radically Christ-centered, understanding every penny, every breath, every belonging, no matter what we have, ultimately has come from God, 
ultimately has been given to us to steward in a way that shows the world Jesus is our treasure, not the stuff that's in front of us. What then do we need to do? I mean, you know, that's one of those things you're like, how do you start putting application to this? Well, I'm going to pull out a couple. There may be more. The Spirit may be speaking to you right now. Take it, listen to it, run with it. But here's three things that I would say. First one is this. We must be intentional about our giving. We must be intentional about our giving. Notice, remember what Paul said. He had already talked to them about the offering. He told them they had a spirit of willingness to give. And other places, Paul says at the beginning of the week, set aside this amount. He gives them, he gives them a say, look, do this. He gives them some real hands-on application. The reason why I said we have to be intentional is because if we're striving to be faithful, if we want to be obedient, God is not an afterthought. And if this is something that is important, if this is part of our sanctification, if this is part of us living lives as obedient followers of Christ, if this is something he's given for us, then if it's just an afterthought or it's something that's just done laissez-faire, I don't really care about it. Oh yeah, the law firm place coming, let me pull out and just kind of toss something in. That is not out of a response to who Christ is and what he has done and is doing in our life. So there, there, there needs to be a type of intentionality on our part to say, I'm going to give, and I'm going to give whatever. Paul, what does Paul say? Everyone must give, look at, we look at um, verse 7, each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the idea there is Paul is understanding they have said, okay, I want to be faithful, I want to give. At this point in time, this is to an offering. Other places talks about, you know, the needs of the local body. He says, I, I, I've thought about it, I've made up my mind, and then I'm going to do it. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. Nobody's coming to drag it out of you. Why? Because God loves it when we understand the truth. We set our hearts to say, Lord, I want to do this, and I want to do this for you. So what does that look like? I mean, I have people every now and then talk about this, and they're like, okay, what do I do? Like, like, what's an amount? I mean, do I need to give five bucks? Do I need to give 500 bucks? What does it look like? You know, and I think a good biblical model for us to, to at least examine as a, as a baseline, and I'll explain why I say a baseline in a minute, is the idea of the tithe. Now, some of us... Um, we, we know that uh, we're not under the law. The, the tithe is of the law. Yeah, I get that. But Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek before the law even came. And, and Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So if you want to get all law on me, let's, let's go. Let's go right now, okay? It's biblical. It's biblical. And so for some people, the idea of giving 10% of what you earn, you look at that and you'd be like, oh, there's no way I could ever get there. Like, you don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't have 2% left you know, after I think about all the stuff that I have to have just to live. That's why I say the tithe's a good baseline. Because some of you, like you're not giving anything. I think what you do is you need to work towards that. And when you give, it needs to be generous and sacrificial. You know, at our house, when, we, when, we, when the, the money comes in, I don't do the bills because I would mess them up. My wife does the bills. She, you just ask her. Anytime I start messing with money stuff, we get in trouble. So I, I just stay away from her. I just give her everything. And then, you know, every now and then she'll give me an allowance or something. It's just pretty good. But she does, she does our bills. And the first thing she does when we get our bills, she sits down and do bills. I've watched her. She pulls out our checkbook and we write a check to Remedy Church. And we have set in our hearts what we want to give. And we look at that. And you know what? It would be nice to have that money to use on stuff. 
Like, like when, we, when, you give it, when I give that check, I look at that, and I'm like, oh, man, there's, there's stuff we could do with that. Or, man, we could put that into savings. Or we could, and there's, there's, a, there's this little bit of a pinch when you start thinking about, wow, we don't, we don't give that away to anybody, and we don't even spend that on other stuff. And so you kind of, there, there's a little bit of a pinch. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to, to, I'm like, oh, look at me, you know. What I'm saying is, I think that's at the point where we're talking about sacrificial, generous giving. Not just throwing whatever's left over, but saying, God, I'm intentional about this. I'm setting apart an amount. For some people, though, let's just say this. For some people, though, giving away 10% of what you make, that's nothing. Like, that doesn't even hurt. You spend that on coffee every month. So... So it may be for you that you've looked at the baseline and you said, you know what? That's not really a sacrifice for me. So what is God calling you to do? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you an amount. I'm not going to tell you you have to give 10%. But here's, I think that's a good model. It's, It's biblical. It's there. There's a reason why God has put it all kinds of places. So I I think that's a good model for us to think through. If you're asking where, what do I, what does that look like? Where do I begin? What am I working towards? What am I working from? Um, I don't think that we need to just go say, hey, when I get the 10%, I'm good. I don't even have to worry about it anymore because it can become just a legalistic thing. I think we need to, we need to evaluate that. You know, it's what we're giving. Are we, are we being generous? Are we being generous outside of what we give to just the normal church giving? You know, so, so we, do we just give our tithe and anybody, you know, then we see opportunities to give. We're like, no, I can't do that. I already give to the church. I can't do that. I already give to the church. So it becomes a, we're not really being generous. So think about those kind of things, but be intentional about it. Be intentional. Married couples, if you've never talked about what you give, if you've never talked about your strategy for giving, I want to challenge you and encourage you to do that. Talk to each other. What does this look like? Husbands, take the role in this. Take the lead in this. Talk to your wife about it. Secondly is this. We've got to be intentional about our giving. But here's the other thing. I think that we as a church need to understand the global impact when we give weekly. I think most of us have the idea that when we, when we give here at Remedy, all that we give, everything that we give here goes to, to Remedy. Um, and so let me clear up a couple of things. One, if the church gives more, FUD doesn't get paid more, okay? He's not like on a percentage basis. He doesn't, you know, the offering's not back there, SMAP counts out, whatever percent, hands it to FUD. That's his, you know, that's actually the way they used to do with some pastors. That Like way back in the day, that's how they got paid. Whatever's collected, part of it was given to the pastor. We don't work that way, okay? So when you hear us challenge you to be generous and to give, it's not so that FUD gets a better salary or a better vacation package or something, okay? That's not what it is. The way, the way it works, just real briefly, we... 90% of everything we, that we as a body give goes to the ministry of Remedy Church, helping to pay staff, helping to pay for building rental, buying supplies, all of the kind of things that we do as a ministry. 90% of the money goes to that. 10% of the money ends up impacting locally, statewide, nationally, and globally. The way that works is a couple different ways. We support, you've heard FUD talk about this, 3% of our budget goes to supporting church plants. So there are three separate churches that have just been planted that we try to help support financially. 3% of our budget go that. A half of 1% goes to the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. So then students on Winthrop's campus who are hearing the gospel are partly because you gave 
and support the work that is done over there. 3% goes to a thing called the Cooperative Program. And with the Cooperative Program, because we're affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention and South Carolina Baptist Churches, we give 3% of that. So that means not only are you impacting things here locally, you're also impacting things on a state level. There are ministries all throughout the state that are being done with multi-ethnic groups, multi-housing ministry. You're helping pastors who are way out in the middle of nowhere who are hurting and they need somebody to come alongside them. Part of your giving is helping to support that. On a national level, you're giving. And I'm talking about every time you give, a portion of what you give helps support seminaries that are training the next generation of pastors and missionaries. You're helping to support missionaries within the United States. Almost 2,000 missionaries within the United States. So a portion of what we give every single time goes to help support them. And then a portion of what you give goes to support almost 5,000 missionaries across the world. That's the, the beauty of this thing called the cooperative program. Because see, Remedy's not the only church that does that. There's churches all over the country, all over the state that give together. And one of the amazing things is you could talk to people who uh, are on the mission field. I've talked to some of our International Mission Board missionaries, and they say, you know what? Our friends who love Jesus and work hard who aren't with IMB, they're able to be here for six months, nine months, a year, and then they have to go home for six months and raise support and ask people to help support what they do, and they can't be on the field. And they don't take it for granted that they don't have to go back and raise support. They don't have to go back and ask people to give. They're able to dedicate full time, every minute. I don't have to come home. I can just keep working. I can just keep working. I can just keep working. I can keep telling people. I can keep planting churches. I can keep leading people to Jesus and discipling people. It's not a bragging thing. It's an amazing thing. Notice, remember what Paul said in verse 11? You be enriched in every way for your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Some of these unreached people groups that we, pay, that we pray for regularly, there are missionaries who are seeking to engage them, and because we give, we're able to help support them do that very thing. You see, when you get the global scale of when you put money into the offering plate, it's not so that somebody can go play golf. It's so that the kingdom can be advanced in Rock Hill, in South Carolina, United States of America, and all across the world. And I don't know about you, and maybe, maybe it doesn't hit you the same way, but when it hits me that way, it makes me say, man, I get to be a part of that? I get to be a part of that? I didn't know I get to help support missionaries. I didn't know I get to help support uh, multi-ethnic ministry in, in the state of South Carolina. I didn't know that I get to help support uh, ministry to prisoners in state prisons. I didn't know I get to be a part of all that. I didn't know I get to be help benevolence. I didn't know I get to help church plants. I get to do all of that every single time that I give. There's a desire then to say, wow, how can I support it more? How can I take it one step more? So understand the global scale of even what, just what you give here as given to our church. And the last thing is this, and this has got to be key, um, and I hope that we've kept it there today. Um, the gospel is the core of all of this. The gospel is the heart and the core of all of this. Because if we don't do it out of a recognition that Christ has come for us, He has redeemed us, He is our treasure, He is our security, He is our everything. If we're not flowing out of that kind of heart, then 
we're either going to be doing it out of some kind of, well, if I do this, God will love me more. If I do this, God's like a vending machine. I'll put my quarter in. He'll give me something back in return. If it's not flowing out of a love and a heart for Jesus, then it's all for naught. It's all wrong. But as we get the gospel, as we get the understanding that Christ has come for us and we're seeking obedience in all that he is and all that we do, we say, God, show me, show me how to be faithful in what you've given me. Be intentional. Know that what you give is a global impact and keep the gospel at the center of it all. We're going to move into a time of response now. I don't know what the Spirit's doing in your heart. For some of you, it may very well be that you're saying, okay, I get it now. I kind of see what this money's all about. And I see about it's more than just, well, I agreed as a member that I would give money. It's about, I'm being part of being faithful to what God's calling me to do. This is part of my sanctification. And I want to impact the world for the gospel. And so maybe this is a time of, of confession, of maybe you're being intentional now. Maybe you're thinking now that I'm going to move forward. I'll be faithful. God, you know how in debt I am, but God, I want to begin to be faithful. So show me how to do that. Maybe it's a time of prayer of that. Maybe it's a time of celebration, thanksgiving to God that we're able to do so much with the, even the little bit that we're able to give. And maybe it's a time to reflect on the greatest gift that we've ever been given, that of Christ. Even today, if you are not a follower of Christ, what we do is we ask you, would you trust him? If you're not a follower of Christ, the stuff we said about money will come later. Right now, what's most important, are you following Christ? Are you trusting Jesus? Have you looked to him for salvation? Have you looked for him to bring you to God when you are far away from him? I'm going to be down in the back, Bud's down in the back. If you need somebody to talk to, come talk to one of us. Spend some time praying and worshiping. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, that you would grant us grace is an amazing thing. And that you would use something as seemingly odd as giving of money to be a means by which we would progress in our sanctification is a, is a powerful thing. So, Lord, I pray that you'd break down any walls that we have about giving, any misideas that we have about money, and that we would simply strive to be faithful, faithful in all that we are and all that we do and all that we say and how we act and how we plan and how we move forward. And that giving is not about meeting budgets, but about truly seeking Jesus. We love you, and we ask this in Christ's name.